You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. We have our first returning guest uh, under the new regime here at Now Hear This. Uh, I spoke right, like, I spoke to Kent Kramer, who is the CEO of Goodwill Indianapolis. Uh, Right as the pandemic hit, it aired early pandemic. And I talked to uh, their press person. They're like, a lot of that is different now. So I wanted to get Kent back on to talk about everybody knows Goodwill. Everybody understands, you know, the stores you go in, you drop off things that, you know, you're that are in your house, maybe extra clothes and and that general business model but they do so much more and we'll talk about that first in case you didn't catch our first interview but first let me say uh welcome to kent how are you chris i'm doing great thanks for uh having me back what seemed like a very long time ago but it was just about four months ago it feels like a completely different lifetime it really does (laughs) you were the you were the last of the pre-pandemic guests where everything was just nice and peaceful and fun and going well and now it's 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 all upside down but let's start with you know the the overall picture of goodwill and recap some of what we talked about last time what are some of the various programs that make up goodwill yeah well chris you know our our mission um we work to empower people to increase their independence and reach their potential. So that's who we, that's what Goodwill is about. And we do that through a variety of programs and mission statement says we, we do programs in uh, employment, education, and in health. So a lot of folks, as you said, they know us for retail and we employ a lot of folks through that avenue. And uh, even though it's uh, a job is like their foot in the door, uh, we do wraparound re- uh, wrap around resources for those folks. And we really try and, and uh, lead them towards uh, a career or education, anything that might lead them towards a job that has family sustaining wages, either that's with goodwill or outside of goodwill. So that's, um, you know, we've been doing that for decades and um, pre pandemic uh, we had 4,200 uh, employees. We brought most of them back, about 3,000 in retail. Um, we brought almost all of them back. And that's now our new charge is is to offer employment opportunities for folks. With unemployment being north of uh, 11% right now, there are people out there looking for jobs. Um, so employment is a key um, component of what we do. Education is the other kind of component, another component. We operate 16 high schools and and uh, those have had to adjust how we operate. But um, for the purposes of this question, 16 high schools, about 4,500 uh, high school students. 15 of those schools are adult high schools called the Excel Center. They're located throughout the state. And it provides an opportunity, the Excel Center provides an opportunity for 
adults to get their high school diploma and additional certifications and credentials. So these are said the last time nearly half million adult Hoosiers who do not have a high school diploma uh, trying to navigate life is difficult at times. We also operate the Indianapolis Met, which is a traditional high school located downtown Indianapolis. Then we have a whole slew of other mission programs where we do home visitation program with first time mothers called Nurse Family Partnership. We work with seniors. We have a placement um, organization. We do contract manufacturing, work with uh, re-entry population. Um, so uh, a lot of times, you know, you kind of keep, keep going on and on, but uh, there is more to Goodwill than a store. You also and, have the traveling nurse service. Is, is that yes, still running? It is. Now, the, the visits are now done virtually, but we're still um, providing the same uh, types of services, checking in with, with mothers and, and their babies. Um, but because of COVID, we're doing that uh, in a virtual environment, still delivering, um, you know, necessary uh, uh, items for them, whether it's formula or diapers when they're in high need, but just doing it on the doorstep instead of in person. Yeah, and going back and listening to that interview for the impact that just the nursing service alone makes, I mean, it's it's truly incredible, and that's not something I knew that Goodwill did. Talking to Kent Kramer, who is the CEO of Goodwill of Central and Southern Indiana, and in the last interview, we talked about one of the most significant challenges as CEO, and that was right before the pandemic struck. And you talked about the merger between the central and southern regions. Goodwill is a national organization. There's different, you know, I, I think you're completely independent or clarify that for us. What is the yeah. distinction again? Yeah, there's 157 ind independently ran uh, and operated and governed Goodwills across North America. So the, our board of directors is local. Um, and the money that we raise stays right here in, in central and southern Indiana for our goodwill. So we're one of we're a, one of a network of federated goodwills across North America, 157. You know, so in, in our last interview, just talking, I mean, the challenge was managing such a sprawling, large organization, especially as it's coming together. I imagine, is your response still the same? Is that still the main challenge? What is the main challenge of the last four months? What does it look like for you? Yes, <clears throat> I did list that as my kind of the biggest challenge. I've been CEO about five and a half years, been with Goodwill about 18 and a half. And that, that was my biggest challenge. Now, um, by far, it is navigating through a pandemic uh, I, I teased uh, the gentleman that was led the search committee uh, for me. I said, there were no pandemic questions <laughs> in, in my interview process. What's this all about? So it has been <clears throat> extremely difficult, some very hard decisions across the organization. Um, blessed with a fantastic team uh, that has helped um, craft the direction we needed to go. Uh, and, and help me with some of those really tough decisions and work with really solid uh, boards of directors. Um, uh, 
you know, throughout this process, but it, it, it's, it's been a tough, tough four months and it continues to be tough, Chris. There's still a lot of unknowns out there. A lot of, um, <clears throat> you know, you know, increasingly difficult decisions to make. We just keep plodding along, but yeah, this is number one now on this, from a difficulty standpoint in my career, what I've had to manage through. Yeah. And, and forgive me if this is somewhat of a delicate question. I don't, you know, you don't probably want to put all your trade secrets out on the, on the radio, but I'm curious as you, you know, employment has been the big topic through all this, of course, health and safety is there, but when you're an organization like Goodwill that is a first-time employer or an employer of people who have difficulties getting employed elsewhere, I mean, I imagine that the challenges that you'd faced, what are some of the like top two or three big decisions that you're looking going, all right, we as an organization need to solve this problem. What were some of those? Yeah, <clears throat> so when we were required... Uh, to shut our stores down, which we did for about eight weeks, uh, the difficult decision to furlough individuals and lay off individuals um, was was probably right up there as far as really tough to to manage through. Um, as I said before, we got about three thousand people in our retail division. If the registers aren't ringing. Um, there's not necessarily a need to have all of those folks working. Now, um, we made that decision and we furloughed around 2,500. Luckily, we were able to maintain our donation stream and leave our donation uh, collection areas that are attached to the stores open. So we did keep about 500 folks employed, but around, right around 2,500 were uh, put on furlough. And just making sure, because a lot of these individuals that we employ and serve are individuals that have barriers, you know, like uh, having a disability or lacking a high school diploma or having a uh, criminal background and knowing that there are limited options out there. Sometimes we are, uh, you know, sometimes the only option or um, a, you know, the last option honestly. So knowing that we were uh, doing that, and the federal government helped on that, knowing that individuals would get you know, through the end of July $600 a week, that helped in our decision-making and saying, you know what, that's our folks are going to uh, stay whole. And Goodwill made the decision. It was uh, a financial decision, but we made the decision to keep them all whole on their uh, health care insurance. So we paid that while they were on furlough. So they were able to stay whole from a financial perspective as well as their uh, health perspective with their insurance. So, <clears throat> and that, you know, uh, those decisions, that's just you know, two of, of many that we had to make, but uh, they never thought I would have to make furloughing 2,500 people. But that's kind of where we did and, and very pleased to say we've brought, brought back almost all of those at this point that that's great and so i mean just in the impact of that on people's lives i mean you know i i'm in um in a middle class spectrum and so my facebook is middle class and white collar and so you know i don't 
doing this show is often a window into how other folks live. And can you give the, our listeners a sense of what this period has been like for your employees who were furloughed? Did that, did that $600 a week, did that sort of keep everybody stable and, and in a good position? What, how, what did it become immensely tougher? Like what's the degree of difficulty for, for your workforce through the last four months? Yes. And, and, uh, had the opportunity to speak with, with many of them. And for those that did get it, and I think you've probably heard that, you know, uh, some people waited quite a bit, um, to get, to get it processed. But for those that did get it, um, it did in essence keep them whole. However, um, most of the families that we employ and serve, uh, you know, it's two and three jobs for that family to kind mm -hmm. of keep afloat. And lots of times if they worked, uh, at goodwill, their spouse or significant other might work at a restaurant and, um, you know, just a lot of uncertainty around jobs and, you know, if you're both um, off of work, trying to care for your family, uh, it gets really difficult. Um, I know there were uh, issues where we had to help people um, find resources for housing, for childcare. Um, there was just a lot to navigate through um, as a family and, and many times uh, you know, families in poverty, they have a lot of other obstacles that they, um, they face as well. So, uh, <clears throat> I would say that the $600 a week did help, uh, but the uncertainty of knowing how long that will last, how long they're going to be out of work. Um, I am so pleased to say, you know, there was this, this thought that because of that $600 a week, people would refuse to come back to work. And, um, you know, they would kind of, you know, rest on that until it ran out. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that our folks came back mm. and, um, you know, saw the value in that work and the stability of having that job. And, um, you know, you know, for us, it was didn't know going into starting to make those phone calls, but uh, just about everybody did come back. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Did you have a portion that are concerned about coming back to retail due to health concerns? And what are you doing in terms of your stores to keep your workforce safe? Yeah, we've we've worked with our um, employees, and uh, um, you know, really haven't seen a lot of that you know, can't come back because of the health reasons. Now, all of our employees are wearing masks and, and uh, we've got, we installed during that eight week down period, we installed plexiglass, um, uh, plexiglass at the registers. We put new processes in place for taking donations. So, um, you know, right now our employees aren't out there. So we're just asking our donors to leave the stuff leave their donations in boxes. So there's no interaction between the employee uh, and the donor. And uh, so we put in a lot of measures. Our fitting rooms right now are not open. Um, you know, one of our, our, our biggest, I guess, 
<clears throat> sales opportunities that we have, Chris, and I think you may have been at one or two of these, is our 50% off sale, which <laughs> is on the, the first Saturday <clears throat> of every month. Because of the crowds that those attract, we've had to um, postpone those indefinitely um, just because there's so many people and, and we're keeping people six feet away in line. We have, you know, like a lot of retailers, you know, marked six feet um, between folks waiting in line. Um, so we've really tried hard to put all the measures in place, um, retailers, you know, continually cleaning and we opened up with, um, um, you know, shorter windows of operation. We've expanded that now, but uh, we ha continue to listen and, and do our best. Ha have you seen, I mean, we're a couple months into this. Have you seen any, have you heard reports of, you know, this, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on the virus because it, it seems, it seems spotty in terms of reporting and retail. What I've heard over and over again in reporting on retail is that if you're shopping, you're fairly safe. It's the people who are working there. And that's why the plexiglass is necessary because they have the repeated, you know, exposure, but have you seen anything in your workforce or shopping or anything, any experiences over the last couple months with the virus that make you think that, you know, all right, we need to take these steps. Have you tweaked anything uh, what has the retail experience been like with COVID for Goodwill? <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, we thought uh, initially, okay, let's um, let's look at this and maybe we can get our donations back to where we're greeting somebody at their car and the trunk is open and we're able to, you know, shake their hand at time, you know, and thank them appropriately. Or, we, you know, we thought, Maybe fitting rooms might be closed for a month, um, you know, because people try things on and they leave them in the fitting room and we, you know, we're kind of constantly going in and, and cleaning them out and opening the door for folks. And, um, you know, because of, like you said, the reports that are coming out and because of, honestly, of our success in not having, um, you know, an abundance of cases within our own organization. We're like, okay, this is working. So let's just keep, let's keep pushing on. And, and, you know, we just made the, the decision on our 50% off sale. That's um, uh, people ask all the time. So let's just go ahead and say, okay, through October, we're not going to have that. Um, you know, we're going to look at other ways to uh, reward our loyal shoppers, but, um, right now trying to keep those crowds down is what, what we're doing, which is counterintuitive to, you know, myself who's <laughs> been in retail for 30 years to say, okay, what can we do to keep people out? Yeah, it's I was, I was, uh, downtown and had, and standing outside of a BW threes that was 25% full and they're like an hour and a half wait. I'm like, okay, I'll just yes, go, go home and have is. spaghettios. Um, <laughs> So, so that's great. I, I thought of you and, and, uh, I was, there's an, I live down on the South side and there's an Aldi's right next to a Goodwill. And I was going into the Aldi's and there were a couple employees under the bay where you do your drop-offs 
processing an enormous amount of things that have just been left on the front stoop. And I think this has been a great time for spring cleaning over the last four or five months for folks. Have you just seen a massive increase in donations of just goods? You know, we have, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll just take a second if you don't mind. I just want to thank, uh, you know, those, those folks that were stay at home, and pinned up, uh, I know what they were doing. They were cleaning out their closets, their <laughs> garages, their attics, and they brought it to Goodwill. And we are so grateful for that. And because of that, we were able to bring people back at a much quicker pace. Because of that, more Hoosiers are now employed and, um, you know, uh, working in productive jobs. So, uh, and we're able to c- continue our other services as well. So, um you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird though, Chris, cause you know, we had, we operated under limited hours. So people uh, were still bringing stuff after we closed. So uh, I would anticipate, or I, I guess I would speculate that what you saw was what I've seen out there is it sometimes it takes us a while to get it cleaned up and get all brought inside uh, because of the volume and not being out, out there to greet and take the donations in right away. So if there's a long line, it could be half hour, 45 minutes before our employee gets out there to, to bring it in because we're trying to limit the interaction. Um, but yeah, donations have been, have been uh, strong and uh, uh, we're trying to put those to, to be good stewards and put those to good use. Now, in the background of your Zoom is one of your Excel centers. Uh, yes. I, when you when you popped up at first, I was like, "Oh, he's in the parking lot of the." And then I realized it was a green screen. Um, you know, I I don't know what schools are going to do in the fall, and I don't think I think if you're an administrator, you're probably fifty fifty on things right now. I mean, uh, it's got to be a tough choice. I mean. As you look at these high schools, your Excel centers, your educational portions, a lot of these wraparound services that you have for that, uh, what are you thinking in terms of the fall and how you'll pr- proceed with with schooling? Yes. <clears throat> so right now, uh, we just had our school board meeting uh, last week and had our high-level plans uh, approved. And uh, we're, we're going to be operating under what's a hybrid model where some instruction will be via uh, e-learning and some will be um, at our bricks and mortar uh, locations. We'll be following CDC guidelines and, and everybody will be masked up and PPP, PPE will be uh, available. We'll, we'll double down on our cleaning. Um, and you know, if anybody wishes to, to go e-learning 100%, then we will um, afford them that opportunity. Our Indian Met High School will be uh, kind of splitting. It's a, a school of 270. We're going to split that in half and have uh, partial instruction in school and partial um, online. And uh, although we finished strong in the in the spring uh, when school um, wrapped up and in, in, um, we had you know solid graduate numbers uh, we do know for for the for the folks that we serve and through surveying them 
that the um, in-person instruction is what they get the most value out of. So we want to figure out a way to continue to provide that. However, uh, we're ready to go back to all e-learning if that's what's required from the, either the state or you know, the Department of Education. So right now we're kind of uh, planning to operate in a hybrid model, which the Excel Center opens this week, and that's what they'll, um, they're operating uh, effectively today. School in the middle of July. Kent. Yes. <laughs> Talking to Kent Kramer, who is the CEO of uh, Goodwill of Central and Southern Indiana. And we're talking about education in the fall. And so how does the hybrid model work? Because is it, uh, you know, you have, you know, I'm thinking of my own schooling. I'm sure most listeners are. You've got a classroom of 20, 30 kids. Are you putting a camera up in the back of the room and YouTube streaming that? Or how, or do you have a de dedicated classroom for online and you have one teacher doing that? How does that hybrid model work? Chris, you just... You just nailed it with the the second part. The first the first um, analogy you made or uh, is camera in the back of the room. That's really difficult um, to do. Um, what works is like what we're doing right now um, from a Zoom perspective, where the teacher's there and there's interaction, and um, so we have to we have to offer both offerings um, in class setting, and then. Uh, you know, separate instruction on the, um, for the e-learning. So it's, it's quite the matrix to fill out when you're scheduling um, students and um, but, but have an incredible team that's doing that. Um, and then even in the classroom, you know, for, from a safety precautions, um, we're looking at cohorts and trying to keep the same kids in the same classrooms and limiting the number of people they're exposed to in case there is a, uh, a positive case. And we've got to trace that to all the interactions, um, you know, looking at serving uh, lunches in the classroom or really just spreading out and having multiple lunches so there can be plenty of space um, amongst them. So it's, um, just like I talked about you know, things I never thought I would do. Um, we've had that from a retail perspective and definitely from an education perspective. When we get to cold and flu season, I mean, do you treat everything like COVID or, or are you going to have requirements? I mean, I think that's going to be the real challenge for literally everyone. Is, it, is, it this a, is this a cold or is this COVID? Yeah, we were, you know, um, you know, many of our sites are taking temperatures and that's, um, so if, if, if you've got a high temperature, you can't, um, proceed. And that, I, I, I do think the, the, the new norm will be that if, if, and, and for us to be able to offer those, uh, e-learning opportunities, um, the new norm is if, if you do have a fever or you're coughing or sneezing, um, you know, but you feel okay, you still need to go to the e-learning platform. So I don't know how we're going to decide what's what. <laughs> I think it'll probably be made for you. That's yes. my, my guess. Uh, so, and that that's kind of my last question on education is that, you know, refreshing my memory, the Excel Center and, and your educational wing 
is really engaged in a lot of folks who are at the lower rung of the economic ladder. A lot of those people are, are you know, they're part-time or they don't have the ability to work from home. How do you, how do you deal with one of my big concerns with, you know, forcing everyone to do virtual learning is the impact economically on those families that can't afford to miss work because they've got to stay home with their kids. I mean, how is that being worked through on your end? What are you seeing in terms of plans down the road for that? Yeah, you know, I, I saw a study um, last week that said 40% of the people that are that have been forced to work from home will continue working from home and 60% will go back. And I, I know we're looking at that as an organization and looking at productivity and, and getting things done. So, um, it, you know, for us as an educator, we've been speaking to how can we prepare folks for that, right? Because it's, um, you know, and, and from a workforce developer. So a lot of interviews are done now. Um, a lot of interviews are done via Zoom or via uh, Skype. And uh, that's a, you know, preparing people for that is just, it's a different skill set. Um, or taking that first job and it's a remote job. And how do you, how do you communicate with uh, your employer? How do you get things done? You know, new ways to measure productivity. Preparing a workforce for that, we, we consider that a big challenge for us right now. We saw exactly what you just explained what people are facing is they've got to work and they've got kids at home. Uh, and now they're trying to work from home or go to school from home themselves while kids are going to school. We deployed and we got a, a nice grant. Um, we cobbled together several grants to, to issue 600 laptops because what we found is, you know, one, one device at a family is just not enough when you got one person working and a couple, you know, a couple students and, it just becomes more and more difficult. So those types of resources are going to have to be made available, Chris, so people can, you know, figure that out. And then um, the whole childcare thing, you know, I, I just heard of a school system today that announced that um, they'll be going to the e-learning platform indefinitely. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thinking about those families with jobs and, um, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, it separates the folks that have the ability to make adjustments and do that and others that don't. And uh, we'll continue to work with those that just have a difficult time doing that. Um, we've got some tough days ahead of us on that. All right. Well, f quickly, because we're woefully over time, um, <laughs> but that's my fault. This is a fascinating conversation. I, I, how can people help Goodwill? What can they do to help you guys out? Well, um, continue to um, donate their uh, gently used household items and clothing. We will be good stewards and put that to to good use, employing people and providing services. Um, you know, if you know somebody that is unemployed, um, Goodwill is hiring. And um, not only will they get a job, they'll get, um, we'll wrap our resources around them to help them 
be prepared for what's next. You know, somebody doesn't have a high school diploma, please refer them to Goodwill. All of that can be found at um, our website at Goodwill Indy, goodwillindy.org. And uh, we'd love to provide any assistance that we can. All right, Kent Kramer, who is the CEO of Goodwill Central and Southern Indiana, thank you so much for joining me. Okay, thanks a lot. Everybody have a great day. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Hey, everybody. I'm Hannah Cox. And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're the host of the Base Politics Network, and we want you to join us for our weekly news roundup, The Base Brief. We believe in teaching people how to think, not what to think. So if you're tired of getting your news from overtly partisan journalists, this show is for you. We have no tribe, we pull no punches, and the only team we root for is the free market and individual liberty. On top of that, we're two good friends who both work as libertarian conservative commentators, but we don't always agree. On The Base Brief, we let you in on the conversations we're already having as we work to analyze the impact of public policies, spill the industry tea, and hash out our hot takes. Plus, you'll get bonus interviews with top liberty lawmakers and influencers like Senator Rand Paul, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee Spike Cohen. Search Based Politics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now. That's B-A-S-E-D politics. We can't wait to catch up with you. And in the meantime, stay based.